While Formula One lives the American dream in 2023, one American is living the Formula One dream. Classic, vintage, wonderful, Formula Two. The fifth place man is Logan Sargent, Formula One driver. Logan Sargent has graduated to F1 at the perfect time. Trips to Miami, Austin and Vegas this year mean he'll get plenty of support in his rookie season with Williams. He's proven his qualities as a serial winner in almost every category he's contested. But Sargent knows that Formula One is a whole new level. There's always going to be people who don't want you to succeed. But it's all a mental game, to be honest, because I, I know that I have the ability to do it. And um, you go outside of your comfort zone when it's something you don't believe that you can go and do. And then you do it. And it's about building such a solid foundation that you can't be broken. Hello and welcome to F1 Beyond the Grid. I'm Tom Clarkson and joining me this week is the first American Formula One driver in eight years. And he's a fighter. With the promise of a seat at Williams lingering, all eyes were on Logan Sargent at the climax of the Formula Two championship in 2022. He secured P4 in the driver's standings and with it, the super license required for his eagerly anticipated promotion to the top echelon. Born in Florida, Logan emphasized his racing credentials when he moved to Europe at just 12 years of age. In 2015, he became the first American to win an FIA Karting World Championship in 37 years. And in 2020, he came close to winning the FIA Formula 3 title as well. A season-long battle with eventual champion Oscar Piastri went down to the final race. More F3 podiums in 2021 convinced Williams to sign him up to their driver academy, since when he's never looked back. So how is America's first home favourite since Alexander Rossi adjusting to life in F1? Logan tells me how his experience so far compares to expectations why his friendship with fellow rookie Piastri remains strong, how he's getting along with teammate Alex Albon, and what it's like to drive alongside the people he grew up watching on TV. Logan is incredibly candid and interesting. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Logan, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you for your time. We're speaking on the eve of the Monaco Grand Prix, your fifth street track in six races. There's no messing when it comes to the venues to start your Formula One career. Yeah, no, they've definitely uh, decided to pick the tricky ones for the start of this year. But um, yeah, still enjoying every second of it. I feel like coming to Monaco, at least I've been here before. So it gives me a bit of a, a bit of an idea what to expect. And then, you know, heading into this sort of European leg of the season, it's an exciting time and uh you know, I feel like I've already learned a lot through the first five and just look to build upon that for, for the rest of the year. Do you like street circuits? I love street circuits when I'm comfortable with the car. Yeah. And at the moment, it's still work in progress of becoming more and more comfortable with the car. But I think what I really love about street circuits and Monaco in, in particular is the adrenaline that it gives you. And there's not many times anymore where you get out of the car and your hands are still shaking and you still have like this sense of like a, a wow factor, whereas a, a lot of normal tracks don't really do that to me after all these years. So that's the nice part about coming to a street track. Hands are still shaking. That's amazing. 
Yeah, yeah. You get out of the car and you're still shaking from all the adrenaline that's just been uh, put through your body throughout a, a session on the street track. And does Monaco require a different approach to the other street tracks? Is this one unique somehow? I think every street track's a little bit different. Jeddah, for example, is another really difficult one, whereas, you know, here it's it's all a bit slower, but it's extremely tight, twisty, bumpy. There's a lot of factors, but at the same time, I think one really good thing about this this track is that it's quite small, so you end up getting a lot of laps throughout practice. The tires are able to hang on for quite a while, so you have you have quite a lot of time to build into the weekend and really build up to it, whereas most of the other tracks, it's it's not quite like that. I think back to 2019 when he finished third at Macau, and it hadn't been actually a stellar season of Formula 3 for you back in 2019, yet you go to Macau, which I'm going to tell you I think is the hardest street track of them all. I agree. <laughs> and you nailed it. I remember when I went out of the pits for the first time in Macau, and I did the first outlap. I thought to myself, there is no way that you can push here. Like, how is it possible? And it's just crazy because when you go outside of your comfort zone, like especially in that situation, and then you start to do it, and then you realize you know, that you can do it. I feel like those are the moments that are you know the most rewarding and the best, and that you grow the most from, to be honest. Because from where I started that weekend, just thinking there's no way this is even possible to ending up being extremely quick and having an awesome weekend. Yeah, it's amazing. And that goes down as probably my, my favorite ever race to this point. You said a little bit earlier that you're getting more and more comfortable in the car. How different has the reality of Formula One been for you compared to the dream of Formula One? It's a tough question. I feel like, you know, the dream of going to Formula One is, it's, it's very similar. You know, you're, you're driving the best cars in the world doesn't get much better than that honestly I enjoy every single lap and every chance I get to get in the car and a lot of special moments I mean even the parade lap in Miami was was super 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 cool um did you get a good reception there I did I did it, it was really I love you Logan <laughs> it was really cool to have you know that support the fan chanting USA in the stands that's that was something that you know was really cool but you know there's a lot more in, that goes into it you know it's it's a busy schedule a lot of marketing, a lot of media, a lot of commitments, a lot of time on the sim. So you don't get much time to yourself. So I'm learning how to do all that and not let it mentally drain me as much and also have time to just, you know, hang out with some friends and I don't know, go play golf on the weekend or something like that. But do your goals change? Because when you're in the junior formulas, you know, you're in Formula 3, the goal is to get to Formula 2, right? And so you've got to do everything in your power to have a good season in Formula 3 to enable that to happen. You then get to the pinnacle and there is no step higher. So does it require some adjustment from you as to what the next goal is? I think the adjustment is more in, at least for me this year, understanding you're not in a car that, that can win. So it's all about building yourself and helping push the team forward and you know it's it's a very different mindset of course we want to win but realistically we have to just go out and maximize the performance of the car and whatever that is it is so that's the difference whereas in f2 and f3 you know you go out to win every single weekend but i think in terms of mindset you always have to have a good year it doesn't change whether it's f3 f2 f1 um, you know the goal is to to perform well and either move up from F3 and F2 or stay in F1. So that's that's the goal. What's the biggest thing you've learned so far? I think the biggest thing is how good everyone is on the grid and the smallest mistakes or the smallest margins 
make the biggest differences. Whereas, you know, in, in previous years, you can be a bit off the mark, but you get away with it and you still have a, a, a decent day. Whereas now it's, it's, it's very crucial to be picture perfect. And um, that's a lot easier said than done. Is the act of driving a Formula One car similar to Formula Two or have you had to rethink all of your inputs? I mean, I think generally you just, you know, we we know how to drive. So you have the base sort of pace. But then to get that last bit comes down to being, one, having the confidence in the car. And that only comes with time. Also, understanding the things that you can do within the car. So now all of a sudden we have so many tools that we can change through a lap that can make a huge difference on balance and ultimately lap time over a lap. So that's a whole nother thing to learn. And then, you know, it's just, you know, extremely quick. So there are small things that you have to change in, in the way you drive. So yeah, there's there's a lot a lot that goes into it. And what about you and Alex Albon? Does Alex help you? Has he has he helped you navigate the potential potholes? I feel like I haven't asked him a whole lot. Like I, I feel like, you know, I obviously you know, look at his data, we I learn off of his onboards, his data and whatnot. But, you know, we go through everything in the in the engineering briefings together. It's not like, you know, I, I ask him on the side, you know, anything in particular. So I just try and pick up what I can from what I see in the data and then try to take things and, and, and do it as well. You know that Williams is the only team this year to be fielding two former karting world champions. Alex won the world championship? Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Do you talk about karting with him? Yeah, actually, occasionally we'll talk about sort of missing the karting days as well because of how fun it was as kids. And at the same time, no pressure, just going out to have a good time, go as fast as you can. And it was really good racing as well. You know, you could start last and if you were quick, come through the whole field and, you know, win a race. So that that's something that I think we miss. But um, yeah, I think you know, we also take time in the in the winter and whenever we get a chance to, to get back in a car and do some laps. Tell us a little bit more about your karting career. Maybe let's go back to the beginning. Why karting for you? Because I read somewhere that there isn't a history of motorsport in your family. Is that right? So so why a go-kart? Honestly, just, you know, very fortunate to have had a, you know, a family that could, you, you know, help support me in racing. Me and my brother just got go-karts for Christmas. At the time, it was it was really nothing. We were just we had quite a few different fun things that we could do and we were just fortunate to be in that position and then you know just started karting and one thing led to another wasn't meant to be anything other than you know just go out have something to do with my brother and my dad and so yeah. did dad race with you he had a kart as well he started with us so just like messing around so he he jokes that i got everything from him <laughs> um dad's prerogative exactly so. but yeah we all we all started together and yeah from there just like you know, we started racing sort of nationally throughout America and then looked for the next challenge, which was, or actually we started just in Florida. Then we started racing national. Then we went to Europe and uh, yeah, the rest is history. Tell me about the move to Europe. Is that when it started to get serious for you, when the whole family went to Switzerland with you to support your racing career? Yes and no. Obviously, it was serious to the point that we moved for racing and also fortunate that dad had some business there. So it made sense for there was a reason for all of us to go. I mean, I was 12 years old. I don't think it can be like, you know, 100 percent at that point. You never know what's going to happen. How was the dream sold to you? I'm just interested as a as a 12 year old son, we're going to move to the other side of the world. I was pretty 
I was pretty naive, to be honest. I didn't really understand it. I think that's honestly helped me. You know, I know my brother moved back after two, three years. And I feel like he was in a, a point in life, especially with his age, that made it more difficult. Whereas because I was younger, I didn't really care and I didn't really understand sort of the implications of it. It's a well-worn path, the Brazilians moving to Europe, Oscar Piastri, your chum, coming from Australia, of course, to England as well. But at that point, Formula One wasn't the goal. It was just a stage of life. Is that what you're saying? I think everything builds. And I don't think there was like a, a light switch moment like, okay, we're going to race an F1. Okay, all kids say that they're going to race an F1. That's, that's what everyone wants to do. But you also don't realize how much work goes into it, how many years go into it, how difficult it is, how many ups and downs there's going to be, how many opportunities there's going to be to decide to stop, honestly. And um, there's so many hurdles. And to say you're going to do something, there's a lot more to it than just saying it, if that makes sense. Yeah, was the standard of karting higher in Europe than it was in the US? Yeah, so we we were racing through the US and... Basically, we got to a point where we were looking for, honestly, higher level of competition. Because oh, you were winning everything. Well, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, can't, I don't want to say that. But honest, that's actually not fair because I have a few really good friends who are now in IndyCar. I race with uh, Patricio Ward, Colton Herta, Kyle Kirkwood. And All the, the guys list, who were winning. The list goes on. So there were a lot of really good drivers in America as well. So it's, you know, we, we had a good core group of, of drivers. But at the same time, we also knew the depth and level of drivers that were in Europe and also understood that if you did want to go to F1, that that was the route. So, yeah, I mean, more than one, more than one variable. Let's break this down. So you're racing against Pato Award, Colton Herter, guys destined for great things in IndyCar. Your childhood hero was Jeff Gordon. Why the passion for F1? The first year of F1 I watched was um, the year that Lewis won. Was that 2008? Won the championship yes. for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the, that was the first year that I had ever watched F1. So you were eight, seven, seven at the time. That's sort of when it started. Jeff Gordon. Yeah, I loved I loved watching NASCAR back in the day. But we watched everything. We watched IndyCar. We watched NASCAR. We watched F1. So it was a bit of a, a full racing weekends for us. F1 was hard to watch at that time because of the time difference. That's why I, I watched more NASCAR and IndyCar. But um, I think it was more just, again, looking for that level of competition. That brought us to Europe. And then all of a sudden that leads you down the path to F1. So it's like things build and everything comes together for a reason. And um, it just all fell together, really. I've read a quote from you in which you say you didn't feel that welcome racing in Europe. First of all, did you say that? And if that is the case, why? I don't know if I meant it in that exact way. I had everyone I've ever worked with alongside me has been super, super supportive and have always been welcoming. But I always felt like there was a bit of a, a thing against being an American racing in Europe. That's just how I've, I felt. I felt like you're sort of looked down on a little bit and not expected to be as good for whatever reason that may be. But in terms of the people I've worked with and everyone who's ever helped me along the way has been has been more than great. Even after you win the world championship in karting, you felt that? It's a good question. I don't know if it was more just in my head or not. Again, once I got to great teams in F4, F3, 
F2 uh, between Carl and Prema, even R-Ace and Formula Renault. Those teams always completely believed in me. And, I mean, especially Trevor Carlin. I mean, he, he's done so much for me. So at that, in, in that point of view, there were a lot of people who, you know, supported me and believed in me. That's for sure. But I, I did feel like at times it, it was definitely more difficult. I would say more at the start than, than through my Formula career. And that desire to prove people wrong, is that still somewhere deep down a source of motivation for you? In the end of the day, I feel like it's more a battle with myself. No matter who you are, people want to, you know, talk down on you. It doesn't matter if you're Max Verstappen, Lewis Hamilton, me, whatever. It's There's always going to be people who don't want you to succeed for whatever reason. But I think for me, it's more about the self-battle and the self, the, the mental challenge that it is with yourself. I believe it's, it's all a mental game, to be honest, because I, I know that I have the ability to do it. It's just about getting in the right headspace to going out and doing it. I feel like when your mind is completely clear is when you go and drive the best. I remember David Coulthard telling me that he felt throughout his career that he was, and I'm quoting him now, swimming against the current and how hard it was, but it forced him to just get better and better. He, he could never relax. He felt he had to keep pushing and it was a good source of motivation for him. It is like that. I, I, I really feel like you're against yourself and um, that's how you get better and that sort of brings me back to those moments where you you go outside of your comfort zone when it's something you don't believe that you can go and do and then you do it and then you get over that hurdle and then you just keep building on that and you build this foundation and it's about you know building such a solid foundation that you can't be broken that's what the the best guys and the best drivers in the sport have and what are the other drivers on the grid like towards you personally have they been welcoming i mean i remember michael schumacher always was very welcoming to the new guys coming in have the establishment welcomed you here yeah i think so i think you know we're also busy on the weekends the only time we really see each other is in the drivers meetings and those go on for hours <laughs> um, but yeah i mean other than that i i really only speak with the people i know which is alex oscar um george from time to time other than that, I feel like, you know, we're all so busy with our own thing that you don't really get a chance to, to talk too much. Now, you mentioned Oscar. We're talking Oscar Piastri, right? You've raced as teammates for many years. Are you proper mates? We're definitely friends. Again, our schedules are so busy. It's not like, you know, we really hang out outside the track. We did have a game of paddle the other day. Who, um, who won? It was me and my trainer, Ben, versus Oscar and his trainer, Kim. And uh, let's just say we, we took the W. We took the <laughs> W. It was close, though. 7-6, seven, 7-6. Six, seven, six. Paddle's a great game. But it was it? fun. It was a, a good time. Oscar said he needs a rematch. So. Well, the great thing about paddle is that the, the rallies are so long, aren't they? I, I read somewhere that the average rally in paddle is like 10 shots. And in tennis, it's three and a half. Honestly, so. we had one of the most insane rallies we ended up winning the point, but we were all just like in awe of the performance that we had somehow found within us to, you know, keep that rally going. Um, Did it get to the point where you start laughing? Yes, yeah, so we started. <laughs> we can't believe the, it's still we going. We got to the point where we started yelling and laughing. And, uh, I, I forget how we won it, but um, I think I think Ben put a, a nice shot in and got us got us that point. But no, it got to the point where we just couldn't believe it. But Oscar, so so you raced in karting together, then Formula Four, Formula Three, of course. 
Is it like a sibling rivalry between you guys? I wouldn't go that far. It was weird because even though we were always so close and, you know, especially in our F3 year when it was as close as it could get, we never had a, um, like, tension, to be honest. Of course, we both wanted to win, but at the same time, there was such a level of respect and the fact that we, we've been racing together forever. I never felt like there was a, a tension that was maybe made out to be. Um, I feel like it's it's always been very friendly and at the same time just you know good competitive healthy uh, rivalry. Oscar seems pretty laid back. Would you call your, yourself laid back? To me he seems always laid back. I'm laid back outside of racing but when I'm in the moment I'm, I'm a bit intense um, whereas I feel like he's just always cruisy. <laughs> but you're aware that you're intense. Do you almost need that to get the best out of yourself? I think at times I could chill a little bit more um so i think there's a fine line yeah like i said it's all about getting in the right headspace one final topic with oscar i want to explore is 2020 your teammates at the best team in formula 3 prima you are level on points going into the last race at Mugello. what did you guys say just before going to the grid to each other honestly i can't remember but i'm sure it would have just been like a you know good luck May the best man win kind of thing. Yeah, I don't, there wouldn't have been any like, it's not like we wouldn't have talked before or after. So, so even in the heat of the moment with so much at stake, you guys were still just cool with each other. That's, that's a lovely thing to hear. Yeah, I think it comes back to the point, of course, we both wanted to win, but there was never any disrespect or tension or anything like that. It was always, um, it was always healthy. Around the outside as well now, hanging on to fifth place, Logan Sargent. That's the start he needed for there. The contact is risky. And turn number one, and Sargent's off the road. Sargent has gone off on the first turn. He's been involved with the ribs in Delhi, and that changes the championship complexion there. There's Oscar Piastri moving up into the points, and Piastri's ahead of Porcher. What a joke, man. And you end up finishing third in that championship, that last race didn't go quite as well for you as it did Oscar how difficult was it for you to to pick yourself up after that yeah it was difficult I, I mean I, I let that one slip the last two rounds we had a lot of opportunities to put big points on the board and we didn't so um yeah it is what it is but I was still really proud of that season I thought the pace I had especially in qualifying was really really good I was still still happy with how it went of course disappointed with how it ended but it was still a, a really good year and then to come off of that and really have nothing that I could see in the future. Um, How close tough. did you get to n not racing again? I don't think I got close to not racing again. I definitely needed some time off. I was quite lucky that season ended in September. I did the postseason F2 test. And other than that, I didn't drive for maybe five months. Easily possible, yeah. I didn't drive till the next March, I believe. So it was a long Was that time. intentional? You just wanted to get some space? I didn't have anything. There was nothing to do. It was just like, just waiting to see what would, what would eventually happen. The plan was just go and race some um, LMP2, some GT stuff. Honestly, I think I would have probably ended up getting something in IndyCar um, at the time. Did you talk to some IndyCar teams? Yeah, I was meant to do an IndyCar test uh, before Williams came along with Foyt. That was uh, a possibility. So I think there was always going to be something, um, whether it was WEC or IndyCar. But yeah, I'm, I'm glad it went a different direction. Who was managing you at the time? 
Infinity, so Harry Soden, so George's George's manager as well. Because that was the moment that Oscar Piastri got with Mark Webber, wasn't it? Yes, that's right. Do you think if you'd had someone like Mark in your camp, it could have panned out differently? No, I don't think so. I was at a point where there was really nowhere to go at the time with no one being at fault for that. I think I was very fortunate when Sharuz gave me that F3 drive, which I was completely against at the start of the year. What, didn't want to do a third season? Yeah, I didn't want to do a third season. I knew I was going from the best car to the worst car, and you know I knew that would unravel some of the great stuff that we did the year before. But I think we ended up going into it and having a really good year, all things considered. And Your win in Sochi, I thought, was absolutely sensational. And I think more people have talked about that victory than probably any other one you did in Formula 3. Yeah, it was it was cool. Because when we started the year, I don't think we were really genuinely close to being able to win a race. And then we were able to build through the year, get the car in a better place. And then at the end, we, we finally won in the last round of the championship. So that was... That was a nice way to end it there, and um, ultimately that's what opened the door to being able to race in F2 with Carlin and having Williams, and that's where you know Trevor really helped and showed his support in me. At what point did Williams get in touch? I wasn't told until like a week before they announced it in Austin, so I wasn't aware until October of, of that year. Wow, it's quite late, but obviously the negotiations have been going on I think for a they, while, or? I don't know how long, but they definitely kept me out of the loop for a while, just in case it didn't go down the right path. Yeah, they were definitely ongoing well before I knew. Go on, talk us through the phone call. Who rang you? How did you feel? Well, it was nice just to know that I was going to finally have an opportunity. You know, it was like, I felt like I deserved one after that 2020 year. And then going to see Oscar sort of, well, dominate, all that did was sort of tell me that I felt like I could do it as well. So yeah, I was just excited to have the chance to to go and do it myself and have a chance to to have a good year and and finally race enough too. What does the Williams Academy offer its young drivers? Honestly a a lot to me maybe more than than others because as I said it was you know they really gave me that opportunity and that that chance to to prove myself and believed in me from the very start and um, you know I felt like from day one, it's just been a constant push to help me become the best driver I can be, to become the best person I can be. And to be honest, I've learned so much, and the team's so welcoming as well. I think it's it's a great place to be. And um, as a young driver, I mean, you're working with the team that you're racing for in, in F2 or F3, and you're also getting to be with Williams at races now that, you know, because they're on the F1 weekend. So you get to see a lot, and you take in a lot. And... Um, even just talking to Nikki and Alex last year, just to hear them in the debriefs and the way that they deliver feedback and the way they drive their car, being able to see the data, go against them on the sim, that's sort of something that, that not everyone gets. Did listening to that reinforce in your mind that, yes, I can do this because they're not saying anything that I don't say. They I, seems they drive the car in a similar way and whatever. Yeah, I mean, driving-wise, I wasn't, I wasn't worried. I think... Alex in particular is is very good at understanding what the car is doing, the way that the tire is behaving. Honestly, one of the most sort of in-depth sort of debriefs I've ever heard. That's something I'm trying to to get closer to because I, you know, it's it is quite impressive to be honest. So that's another thing that you know I'm able to learn from and 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 build on from him. How much feedback do you think a driver needs to give an engineer? And I'm going to tell you a little story in that 
uh, Nick Heidfeld. Remember him? Yeah. He used to give so much detail, apparently, that his engineers used to lose their rag with him and say, look, we haven't got all day. Please just tell us what your wor- the worst thing is and we'll try and get on top of that before FP2. Don't give me the entry mid-corner apex for all 26 corners. No, you're you're definitely right. They, The engineers get a bit annoyed if you sort of waffle on for too long, <laughs> being too detailed. It's It's more get to the point. What are the big issues, the main limitations, where do we need to go, and um, how the tire is behaving, stuff like that. But yeah, there is a point where it's too much, and you know that just annoys, annoys the engineers at that point. So it's about delivering the right amount, the important information, being efficient, and um, that's how you get the most out of it. And what are the big issues for you? What do you least like in a car? Um, I, I really like when, when you're able to combine on the brakes on entry and um, that's something we've been struggling with this year so for those of us who don't understand combine on the brakes what does that mean so that means when you have quite a bit of brake on while you're still while you're already turning into the corner and that's something we've we've struggled with a little bit and that's to avoid the front locking in the entry to the corner so that's something that we're trying to improve on and yeah i don't like a car that's underbalanced so that means when it has too much understeer i like a car with good front all right, this is going to sound silly because this is what everyone <laughs> wants. I like a car with good front, but also has that rear stability to give you the confidence to, to really throw it in and, and trust that the rear is going to gonna stick. How often do you get a car like that? Oh, it's very rare. Come on. I mean, like, what are I we? Mean, We're at race six. How many times this year have you, has the Williams been like that for you? Jetta was, it felt special in qualifying. We had a really, really good car. I'd say that's where the cars felt the best. In Jetta? Yeah. Sergeant's lap is brilliant so far. Nine drivers have done a flyer, and look, Leclerc's behind Sergeant's first sector as well. Sergeant's pace is uh, is not too shabby at all. Quicker than Hulkenberg, and we know how quick Hulkenberg's been so far. Yeah, all credit. You know, he certainly was competitive in F2, but it just looks like that Williams fits him like a glove because we know how quick Albon is. Still early in this session, but that is impressive. The fairy tale is about to end for Logan Sergeant. He's had his time deleted for track limits. I wanted to ask you about Jeddah, right? So you you come off the back of a, a really good debut in Bahrain, close to Alex and Quali. You then go to Saudi. What actually happened in Quali? I still haven't quite got my head around that. In that you were flying. I was flying. <laughs> you really were flying. And what, what what happened? Yeah, we went back into the analysis on the session. We we believe we could have qualified seventh or eighth. Right. So why why um, not? Yeah, it's it's a painful one. I mean. In hindsight, I needed to do a better job. I was flying, but I didn't get it together. So my first push lap out the box is probably the best first push in quality I've ever done in my life. I talked to a lot of people. They're like, whoa, <laughs> that was good. So yeah, that was that was a really cool moment. I put a big lap on the board, but that got deleted because I crossed the white line at pit entry. Yeah. Which was a bit frustrating because it's a temporary rule for that track in particular it's it's you were aware of it going into the session or? i was however they hadn't given us any warnings through fp1 fp2 fp3 they did tell us but because they hadn't given any warnings for that i didn't expect it so i must have crossed it by 10 millimeters probably yeah. um so that was that was painful it wasn't like it was track limits either it was literally just just crossing the white line and that's the shortest route right yes to cross yeah, it exactly my fault, for sure. I shouldn't have done that. But, you know, it is what it is. I still had plenty more opportunity in the session. I was on another great lap, but we weren't fueled for that lap, so I had to box. I hadn't set a time to that point, even though we were flying. 
and yeah, we boxed, got a new set on, and then I had a spin, and um, that's where the, the session went to, to no good. Do you believe in momentum, in that Bahrain went well? If you hadn't crossed that pit entry line and you'd made it into Q3, let's say, in Jeddah, do you think the season would have built differently for you? No, I don't think the season as a whole. I think that session would have built very differently, and I think we would have ended up having a honestly really really good session but i don't i don't believe that would have affected the the following rounds look what about williams can you just describe the vibe inside this team i feel like we have so many different ones because the engineers are so different to the mechanics and then we have a great marketing team fun i mean as always the engineers are intense you know they're 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 focused they want to get the maximum out of their car performance and then yeah the mechanics are a great group of guys and girls. They're all very welcoming. They're all super fun. They're all excited. You know, every weekend they're they're there and, you know, doing their best. And then uh yeah, back with the marketing team. They're they're a lot of fun as well to to work with. Do you think the vibe has changed in the the changeover from Jos Capito to James Fowles? Because of course you were part of the team under Jos. It's hard for me to say because I was I wasn't here here because I was always in the F2 bit. But the marketing team is always, it's been the same since last year, really. So they, they've always killed it. I feel like the mechanics, because we're having opportunities, seem really motivated. You know, I think them seeing that we can go out and, and get a good result has, has really given them that motivation to work that much harder and put that much more effort in for us. So that's that's obviously so appreciated. And um, engineering-wise, I feel like, they're always they're always on it. I think at this point last year the team had three points on the board. You've only got the one point from Alex. Is there a sense of frustration because this car is is definitely better yeah. than last year's? Yeah, I think the team as a whole's taken a step forward. Honestly, I didn't know that about the points from this year to last year. Look, I think we're all aware that there could have been more points scored, especially Alex has had some some really good opportunities. But at the same time, I think that's been taken more as a positive that it's able to go and do that. The motivation is there to go and get it. Whereas last year, from what I understand, it was more external factors that needed to happen in order to end up in that position. Whereas this year, it's more that we know we can do it on, on pure pace. And were you a fan of Williams as a wee lad? Yeah, I, I mean, growing up, honestly, I loved just watching the greatest drivers. I wasn't like super invested in a, a specific team. It was honestly just, you know, watching Lewis, Jensen, Alonso, Massa at the time. Is it surreal to be sharing the racetrack with Lewis and Fernando now? It's kind of crazy to know that they were in it when I started watching it. So <laughs> how many years that's <laughs> been that they, you know they've been they've been uh, driving an F1 car around, but that just makes it even even cooler. You always end up once you make it to come in against someone that you've you've seen on you know on tv for forever so it, it is cool that they're out there and um it does make it special especially seeing them on track while you're out there is pretty cool and when you're at the factory do you ever wander around the museum and and take a look at some of Honestly, the cars the from museum yes. it's awesome isn't it's it it's insane it yeah. is 100 percent the coolest museum i've ever seen the cars they have in there unbelievable have you got a favorite one um there's one car if the heritage department said right logan you can drive one car i've already driven the um fw08 
That's the 82 the Rosberg v? car, right? Yeah, the yeah. 82 Rosberg car. That was insane. I Honestly, I'm more surprised by the way they used to sit in the cars. And, like, the they had no space. And the seat was, like, plastic. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it was not very comfortable. But, yeah, it's it makes it even more impressive. Right, I'm going to throw a car at you now. Um, the FW14B. Yeah. All right, the 92 car that mm -hmm. Mansell dominated yeah. in. You fancy that one? That one's in the spotlight. I think it's, like, raised at the museum. And it's sort of on, like, a, a slope with, like, a, a spotlight on it. And, um, yeah, that one's that one's awesome. One last thing about Williams, the team. James Valls mentioned him earlier. What's it like working with him? So good, honestly. Um, so supportive. Really, really understands driving and the sport as a whole and it's not as easy you know he understands all of that and and understands it takes time to build and is willing to work with me and help me and in any way he can and um at the same time i feel like such a good leader and um i, I really feel like he he's put the team in the in the right direction i i love working with him i think he's he's a great person to have have in our corner and, and push the team forward he races a bit himself. Does that help in terms of him understanding what you're going through? I think it does, honestly. I think, you know, he, he understands driving, and that's important. Um, he knows how cars need to be driven. He Because he's an engineer, he really understands tools and the way that we can drive it to go quicker. That is so beneficial, more than you would, you would understand. But does he sit in the meetings and make suggestions? Yeah, he does. He's in, he's in all the engineering all the engineering meetings, pre-briefings, post-briefings. Yeah, he's there. Uh, any input he has is, is definitely delivered. There is an elephant in the room, though, between you two, isn't there? In that you nearly worked together. I'd like to think you nearly worked together when he was at Mercedes. Have you discussed that? Because am I right in thinking you went to Mercedes with a view to becoming a Mercedes young driver and he chose a different route? I don't remember it completely like that i remember it more in a sense of i had just finished that 2020 season it was just dis disappointing end of the year of course but yeah went to mercedes did two days on the sim i loved it i honestly thought it was a great two days and um from what i understood at the time um was that they wanted me to do another year of f3 with prema that just wasn't the the route that we were we were ready to go and you know obviously that was another big boat full of cash that wasn't there so yeah i feel like there were there were more variables than that have you and him talked about that he told the media look i was wrong yeah I, it. and it's really nice to be with him now and to be proven wrong well i'm i'm glad he he um is happy to have me now it never concerned me or worried me in any way at all and honestly i was in such a, a weird point at that time in my career i didn't it honestly just it wasn't even a thing to me well let's throw it forward the remainder of this year. First of all, what what are your goals between now and the end of the year? I think I have a lot. I mean, first things first, I want to I want to get to a point where, you know, I'm really comfortable in this car and you know, be able to to have the confidence to go out there and and really push earlier on and and you know, trust what's underneath me. I think that comes with going to tracks that I know. But then yeah, it's just going to be about trying to get to a point where I'm I'm extracting all the performance from the car week in and week out and that's where i want to get to kind of end it where we started in that we're going to some permanent racetracks quite soon will will that somehow make it a bit easier i think so i love gp tracks 
you know, I'm going to quite a few tracks now that I'm extremely quick at. And, um, yeah, we're going to do our best to, to make those Go good ones. Right, let's name one track where you think the car's going to go. You think the car will be good at Silverstone? Or are you just looking forward to that Maggots, car Beckett's? Will be, car will be good, and I'll be good there. <laughs> All right, watch that space. Look, Logan, thank you very much for your time. It's been great to chat. Thank good you. luck with everything. Thank you very much. Watch out for Logan at Silverstone, everyone. But if he thinks the Williams is going to be good there, then it should be okay at Barcelona as well. So watch out for him in the Spanish Grand Prix. It was great to have Logan on the show, wasn't it? His honesty was disarming, and it was interesting to hear about his journey to the top and the battles he went through to get there. He fought hard, and he's now being appreciated by the fans. All those cries of USA, USA, on the driver's parade in Miami showed that. Logan, thanks for your time. It was great to speak to you, and good luck with the rest of the season. As ever, please send in your thoughts and stories about Logan. Have you seen him race? Were you one of the people in the stands in Miami shouting USA? Let me know through all the usual means. I'm at Tom Clarkson F1 on Twitter or use the hashtag F1 Beyond the Grid. Which leads me on to what you sent in after last week's show with Sam Michael. Unsurprisingly, the mailbag was bulging after that one. Let's start with this from Nicholas Burnett. What a superb chat with Sam Michael. He's a real gent and humble, yet so inspiring and had so much to share. Thank you. Well, thank you, Nicholas. Sam is indeed all of the things that you describe. What about this from Geordie Pugh? Amazing talk with Sam Michael. I could listen to him talk all day, so intelligent and eloquent. Miss him on the grid, but happy to hear he's doing well. Yes, Geordie. And Sam always had great situational awareness on the pit wall, didn't he? Just imagine how much he'd be able to help a team like Ferrari at the moment. Now, there's a thought. And on that note, this is what Metro has to say. Sam should rejoin the sport and help McLaren or Williams get back to the top. Well, there you go. Sam, are you listening? Finally, let's hear from Jeff Jukes. Really enjoyed the pod with Sam Michael, says Jeff. He's so logical in his thoughts and always so calm. If I were an F1 driver, his is the voice I'd like to have in my ear. Well, thanks for that, Jeff. And I'm sure someone like Heinz Harold Frentzen would agree with you. Now, we're going to leave it there for messages this week. Thank you to everyone who got in touch. And I'm sorry if I haven't read your message out, but rest assured, I've read it. And please remember to send in your thoughts about Logan in time for next week's show. Well, that's almost it for this week. If you want something else to listen to, our F1 Nation review of the Monaco Grand Prix with Pedro de la Rosa, Alex Wurtz and myself is out now. And this week's episode of Formula Y is all about why racing in the wet is so difficult. That's available from Friday. Just search F1 Nation or Formula Y in your podcast app for those shows. I'll be back next week with another great guest from the world of Formula One. But for now, thanks for listening. F1 Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 and Audio Boom Studios. Until next time, keep it flat out. <laughs> <laughs>